welcome to the first episode of LodPod, the Lodders Solicitors podcast. In these episodes, we will be commenting on the recent news events, legal updates and advice, as well as our internal people news. My name is Angela Howard and I'm the marketing manager here at Lodders and today I'm joined by Alistair Frew. Hello Alistair. Hello and hello Angela. <laughs> Alistair has been at Lodders now for, well you've just celebrated your 20 year anniversary. 20 years, I know, seems like two minutes. And he's a partner and head of our business property group um, in our real estate team. Alistair, can you tell us a bit about what you get up to here at Lodders? Well the business property, um, perhaps as exactly as it says uh, in the name, we look after business owners who have premises from which they trade and we look after business owners for whom property is their business so buying selling leasing um, remortgaging anything like that we also look after renewable energy schemes which tend to be um, farmers or large industrial owners who've got some spare acres and they're they're turning them over into green energy schemes um, for generally for solar or perhaps for wind turbine other things as well but uh, that keeps us busy most of the time so when we asked a lot of staff about topics that they wanted to speak about on LodPod, you suggested the recent changes in law regarding to the right to camp on Dartmoor which was in the news this year can you tell us about what this issue is yeah well on the face of it it's just about a few people who want to camp under the stars on Dartmoor um, but it, it got a lot of traction in the news because there are there are issues, there are much wider arguments about who controls our open spaces. So is Dartmoor National Pub Park a public open space? Well, Dartmoor National Park is a national park, um, but it's owned by a number of private estates. So it's not owned by the state, it's not owned by the government, it's not owned by the taxpayer. Um, one of the main landowners is the National Trust, but that in itself is a private organisation. So it's not a public space, uh, Dartmoor, in the sense that maybe your town park, your town playground is a public space. So if it is private land, how can the public expect to be allowed to go onto it? Well, that's a good point. Um, like a lot of open spaces, uh, Dartmoor is crisscrossed by public footpaths. So you can walk along there. Uh, and, and enjoy the enjoy the fresh air, enjoy the view. There's also lots of bridleways. I know you like to ride a horse. I do. Um, you can ride a horse along a bridleway. I'm a cyclist, so I can ride my bicycle uh, over Dartmoor on those bridleways. But you have to stick to the path. You're not allowed to get off your horse. I can't leave my bike and go wandering across the fields. You have to stick to the path. You can pause and enjoy the view, but the idea with the footpath of bridleway is you have to keep moving, and you're certainly not allowed to set up camp. So the public think they have a right to roam over all our countryside. Is, is that not the case then? Yes, yeah, sadly not. Um, the right to roam, uh, it, was, it was introduced into England, uh, England and Wales, through something called the Countryside and Rights of Way Act back in 2000. And that gives uh, a right to, to roam, to wander around uh, on our countryside uh, to a much wider area. But it's not the whole of our countryside. Um, as a townie, I think of the countryside as almost everything outside the boundaries of, of the town. Um, but the right to roam only applies really to, to the, the wilder spaces. It's got to be, slightly strangely, above 600 metres above sea level. Um, it's, it's heathland, it's open moorland. It's not land that um, farmers call improved grassland. So if you've got cattle grazing there, you can't roam around on it. I mean, you've got to be careful walking around cattle anyway but you can't roam around uh, under the right to roam on cattle land uh, anything where there are crops growing you can't do that anything that's parkland so the old deer parks well they're parkland so that's not right to roam and anything that would look like a garden 
and some people have very large gardens. Again, no right to roam there. So it's a, it's a very contained right to those wilder spaces, the right to roam. That seems fair enough, though, doesn't it? Well, you'd think so. Um, and I guess for most people, it's plenty, because for most people, as long as they can go to a national park and walk to the, the cairn at the top of the local beauty spot, have a sandwich and come back down again, that's all they really need. Um, but for many people, they feel a much more a connection with the open spaces, and they, and they feel they ought to be allowed to, uh, to wander around. Um, they're a bit cross even that the right to roam doesn't doesn't let you ride your horse anywhere. Doesn't I still can't ride my bike anywhere. It's got to be footpaths, bridleways for, um, for for us on our on our horses and bicycles. But the right to roam, the right to wander around is just hilltops. You get to the hilltop, you sit and enjoy the view. But you can't put up a tent. No pitching of tents. No pitching of tents. See, that was what really got this um, uh, issue going because Dartmoor was always a special place where uh, it's one of those dark skies areas and people really enjoyed the fact that they could wander around wherever they liked and when the sun set they could put up a tent and in the morning they could light a small fire, boil a kettle, make some bacon and eggs and enjoy the view. Um, that brought them into conflict with the, with the people who own the estate. Um, now for many, 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 many years Dartmoor was a special place. It even had its own act of parliament, it's, I mean it still does, would you believe the Dartmoor Commons Act of 1985? So quite a recent thing, really. Not too long ago. Not too long ago, but it, that enshrined an ancient right uh, to um, have access onto those common spaces on foot, on horseback, and crucially, it said, for open-air recreation. And the, the walkers, the campers, said, well, what could be more open-air recreation than camping out under the stars? Um, so they've been doing it for years on Dartmoor, not many other places really, but Dartmoor was a special special case, uh, and they've been doing it for years, and then, and then conflicts seem to arise. So what do you think went wrong? Well, we're keeping politics out of this. Um, Absolutely, we don't do politics. We don't do politics here, but the, the, the two sides seem to, seem to take very different views. On the one side, they said, well, there are groups of townies descending on the moor, having late night raves, leaving the place a right mess, leaving their bottles of gas, leaving their sandwich wrappers, leaving everything strewn around for somebody else to clear up. Um, on the other side of the argument, people said, actually, no, there's just a small group of very, very responsible ramblers and campers. And the reason they were excluded was because they were disturbing very lucrative pheasant shooting. Those were the two arguments and how to settle it. So did the dispute end up in court? Well, it very much did. So in January of this year, uh, it ended up in the High Court. Um, and uh, the High Court held that the right of the public to enjoy open-air recreation on Dartmoor actually did not include camping, that they, that they never had been a right to camp, which caused amazement amongst people, that the, the Dartmoor Act didn't therefore enshrine an ancient right to camp, and that camping had never been allowed, and they should never have been doing it, and they should therefore stop doing it immediately. So camping became illegal overnight across the whole of Dartmoor. So what's, is there an agreement to resolve this or is, is that it now for those that, you know, originally just enjoyed yeah. camping on well, the Well, immediately, um, I guess, the, the Ramblers groups and the National Trust uh, got into negotiation and the National Trust managed to broker an arrangement with many but not all of the owners of the land that comprises Dartmoor, um, whereby we assume for payment, um, the figures have not been disclosed, but... Payment seems to have been made. Um, 
this ancient rite that therefore didn't exist, but everybody thought it did, has been turned into a, um, a, a, a permissory rite where the landowners have said, go on then, um, in return for this, this payment or, or um, in return for certain promises as well of good behaviour, you can camp on our land. It's not the whole of the estate, so, so um, if you like, Dartmoor has shrunk, if, if, if that's your position. Um, and a lot of people are cross, with it, cross about it because it means the taxpayer who funds the National Trust has had to pay for something that folk thought they could do anyway. And, of course, the landowners have managed to uh, restrict um, what is allowed to certain sites, not the whole, not the whole moor. Um, and it's not satisfied everybody. You might say it's not satisfied anybody. Um, and I think we'll hear more of this. And it's part of a long-standing, um, very long-standing tradition, I suppose, of argument between the people and the landowners. Now, we don't take sides in this, but every generation there's a, there's a, there's a fight over who owns the land. Um, we had the commons enclosed way back in, in you know, back in the day, and less than a hundred years ago we had the the fight. Uh, it was called the Kinder Scout trespass, where um, people from Manchester marched on the hill called Kinder Scout and demanded access to it, and that was contentious because, on the one hand. They, they won, they forced the creation of the national parks. On the other hand, they were viewed as a bunch of communists who delayed the creation of the national parks by their rowdy behaviour. So I guess the takeaway from this battle over quite a fringe, quite a niche issue of fighting over Dartmoor um, is we need to have a, a, a better conversation between who owns the land and who wants to use the land. It's obvious that the, that the way walkers are using the land is not pleasing the, the, the people that own it. They're, they're obviously causing a mess, they're causing a scene, they're causing disturbance, uh, whether that's leaving bottles of, of, of hippie crack lying around or, or frankly upsetting the pheasants, you know, that, that they're causing that. And in the meantime, in Parliament this year, the Green Party is introducing um, legislation, which presumably won't succeed because it's the Green Party and it won't get through, but, uh, you know, it's, it's been brought in to try and bring England into line with Scotland, in line with Norway whereby in return for what you might call a much tighter countryside code, much wider rights of access are given. Because we do need wider access, don't we? Well, I, I would say so. I mean, I'm a townie, but I like access to the countryside. But equally, I acknowledge that if, it's, if it was my land, I'd think, well, hang on, what are you doing wandering across my land? So it's a, it's a conversation that we, I think we need to have. And obviously here at Lodders, we do a lot of highways work yes. uh, with Victoria Longmore, Michael Orlick uh, and, and me too. Do a lot of highways work, rights of way work. We look after lots of people from both sides uh, of, this, of this discussion and uh, we look forward to more of it. Thank you, Alistair, for your time today. Thank you, Angela. And thank you all for listening. Um, we hope to see you soon at our next podcast. Watch this space.